The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Okay, I'm about to preach you a message you can't refuse. I'm sorry about my voice. It sounds a little raspy. It's been very busy, and the more uh, uh, I've gotten busy, uh, the, the more I've seen some things wane in my throat and in my voice. Uh, it, it does uh, 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 require a little more labor. I feel like I have to push harder, so uh, I apologize for that. If, I, if the, the cadence is a little off or if things sound a little uh, rushed or pushed, please Pardon me, but I want to get into the word because I believe in the direction that we're going here. Uh, I want to give you a couple of things to look forward to as you get into the scripture. If you're taking notes, these are things that you can write down, things that we're going to find in the scripture. One of the things that we're going to find is what Jesus commands. Now, there are a couple of things that Jesus commands, and there's obviously a lot of instruction in the scripture. But there's a couple of things that I want us to take a look at, one specifically, because it will lay the foundation for where we're going. Another thing that we're going to find is how to fulfill what Jesus commands. Because if we know what Jesus says, that's one thing. If we know how to actually do it, that's altogether another thing. And we're not here just to increase our Bible IQ. We're here to be equipped to actually perform and produce the things that are pleasing to God. And that'll be a good one to find as we get into the word there. And then a third thing that we're going to find is what's required for unity. Unity is a really elusive uh, thing, whether it's in family or it's in friendship or it's in work relationships. It's also elusive in church, and it's at the foundation of church life. Uh, my wife comes from a very different church background than I come from. I would come from more of a charismatic church background. She comes from a Church of Christ background. And she, I remember when she asked me early on in our marriage, why are things so different with this group than the group that I grew up with. And I asked, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, I could go back to the church that I grew up in and those same people are there. Why is it that there's so much turnover in the church community here? And it, it provoked some really interesting thoughts. And at the, the end of the conversation, in the end, what you see challenged there is unity. Now, what you need to realize is that unity is a very valuable thing. In fact, it's a very high calling in the church, not only to have it because of its value and the properties that it brings, but to display it to the world. So it is a, a very uh, uh, wonderful and valuable asset that we have as believers, and it's also under tremendous attack. And when you see unity, uh, it's a really wonderful and precious thing. It's, it's filled with diversity, but yet there is this uh, uh, bond that will equip people to function and operate as one. We refer to the body of Christ, we use those terms often, but it really is God's design. It's not just God's really poetic in how he speaks. He's revealing to us that we're meant to be many parts, but absolutely unified with one system that circulates, that being the Holy Spirit, to see God's power and his authority released into the earth. Now, without unity, there's a real challenge there, right? I mean, your body functions and performs. It does things. It, it, it produces. I mean, I have multiple jobs and in those jobs I work and I do things and those things are accomplished but if you were to take my body and begin to dismember it it would be pretty hard to get things done so when you see unity violated in the church you really see everything that God has done in our hearts and in our minds and all of that made to be very unfruitful 
and unproductive. And that's why it's such a, a high value target by our enemy and such a precious thing by our Heavenly Father. And it's meant to be something that we don't stumble into by accident, but that we see in the scripture and that we bring what's required for unity to prevail. So we'll find that. Uh, so as we get into the word, I want to start with Jesus's command for our lives. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Gospel of John. I want to look at chapter 13, and I want to begin in verse 34. So you have your Bibles, you're going to the Gospel of John, chapter 13, and verse 34. Here's how it reads. Now, it's Jesus speaking, and when Jesus is speaking, I always like to put myself in the room as if he's speaking, and when these words begin to come out of his mouth, he makes eye contact with me, and I realize, like, wow, he's talking to me. And I'm just a little nutty like that, but it helps me to engage with the Scripture, not as a, a, a book like a fairy tale, once upon a time there was a man who did great things, but that this is my king bringing his instruction and his counsel and his guidance into my life in written form. And when I see this, it begins to bear witness with a lot of the things I feel in my spirit that he's called me to do. Here's what he would speak to you directly. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And it's by this that all men will know that you're my disciples that you will have this love for one another. Now, when you take this and you read it, I always have to kind of paraphrase it because I don't really talk like that. But what God is saying to us and what Jesus is speaking directly to us is that there's a call on our life to function and operate the same way that he functions and operates towards us. This commandment and this instruction is not just to love, but it's to love in the same way that he loves us. And when you begin to ponder that and think about that, it becomes very clear that God's love is unique compared to the love that we experience in our day-to-day -day lives, the love that we've known from, you know, loved ones and parents and, and family members or relationships that we've had. A lot of the love that I've known in my life has been very limited in resource and limited in things like patience and kindness. And uh, there's been a lot of love that I've known that's been conditional, I remember stepping into a church in Oklahoma that was under tremendous duress, and the assignment was to step into this congregation and bring about, you know, recovery. And, and when we entered in, there were people that came around, and, and they would all express this excitement, and they would use the word love. Well, we know that God's called you to be here, and we love you, and we're here for you. What was amazing was two months later, they're gone. And I begin to wonder, what does that word even mean to you, you know? that you could come and say that and, and that it would be, you know, spoken, but yet what happens when it comes time for that to actually be lived out? And that's a real challenge. When Jesus offers this as an instruction, I think it's important for us to see that he uses a very powerful word. I mean, a command is a powerful word. It's not, hey, guys, this is my suggestion. I suggest that you love one another even the same way I love you, right? Or this is my recommendation, that if you want Christianity to be fruitful and fulfilling in your life, that you take on this perspective. I mean, he could use much softer words, but yet intentionally, Jesus never speaks accidentally. He's never speaking casual. Very intentionally, the word command is used, which means this is absolutely necessary. And so when I take on that mentality, it begins to affect how I consider my own heart, my own words, my own actions, my own prayers. You can take that passage of scripture and let it influence your prayer. Father, I want to love the way that you love. 
when I see a situation, I don't want to see it through my own eyes or my own hurt feelings or my own broken heart. I don't want to see it through my wounds and my afflictions, but I want to see it through your eyes. And then I want to respond to it with the same resources that you have, that infinite patience, that long-suffering, and that willingness to endure and outlast the nonsense that's right in front of me. I want to respond with graciousness, and I want to be compassionate. I want to bring about solution. I want to make this better and not worse. It's a pretty good way to pray. The reason why I would want to pray that way is because I can tell you I've made a lot of things worse and not better throughout my life. And that call upon our life to love the way that Jesus loves is universal. It's for all believers. It wasn't just, hey, guys, this is for pastors only. Now, pastors, this is my command to you, that you love your congregations the way that I've loved you. This is for all believers Every single man, woman, and child that would call upon the name of Jesus, the command for them is to love in the same way that Jesus has loved them. So I want to look at the scripture here just to clarify what that would mean. Well, there's a couple of things that it can mean, and we'll find those things in the scripture. Uh, One I'll give you is from Hebrews, Hebrews uh, 9.28. Hebrews 9.28 reveals an effort made by Jesus it is meant to be an, an example for each one of us. I want to give you the passage of scripture here. If you're taking notes, Hebrews 9:28. It says, "So Jesus Christ became an offering once to bear all the sins of many." Now, I understand this is referring to the cross. This is the point where a, a biblical word that we would referred to as propitiation is made. It's a big word. It just means Jesus died for your sins, basically. And when we consider this work that Jesus has done, it's pretty powerful and amazing. I mean, I don't have a call on my life to go to a cross and offer my life to cover the sins of many. That's done one time, and it's done for all. But there is something to be considered in this that motive and that willingness to do so, that manifestation of love, that he would put his life behind your life, that he would put his life behind my life, that he would take the things that were destroying me to his own destruction in order to see me saved. Now that is a love that I can mimic. That is a a, a motive and and a mentality, that is a state of mind and and a, a, a state of the heart that I can ask God to duplicate in me. I'd like to be like Jesus. I'd like to be purged of everything selfish inside of me, and I'd like to see the world through the eyes of Christ in the sense of knowing that I can bring about solution no matter how deep the hurt, no matter how deep the wound, no matter how great the problem, that my life is precious, and I'd like for it to be offered in exchange. And there's a word that's used there in this passage of scripture, this description that I think is really worth noticing. I mean, I'm going to give you the word here in a moment. So as we read it again, Christ also became an offering once to bear the sins of many. It's the word bear. It's a really interesting word. We use the word forgive often. You know, do you believe that Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins? And the answer to that would be, yes, I do. And And, you know, forgiveness is a really wonderful and powerful thing. But this word here is an interesting word to me, to bear. It doesn't just apply to this 
once for all sacrifice. It applies to daily activity. I'll give you another passage of scripture for your notes as we consider what it would mean to bear. I'll give it to you from the Psalm, Psalm 68, verse 19. It's a declaration of thanksgiving. It opens with, you know, blessed be the Lord. So this is said with excitement. And if I had even a little more voice, I might add a little color to it. But unfortunately today, this is what you get. But the psalmist is excited and, and he begins to reveal his excitement with blessing. Blessed be the Lord. And now he reveals why he's excited. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burdens. God who is our salvation. There's that word bear again. But this time it's not attached just to the idea of sins being washed away at the cross. Rather, it's attached to the concept of burdens, hardships, difficulties, whether those be sins that are opening up doors for corruption and ultimately to death, or whether those be the challenges that make life a, a, a miserable, that open up the door for the compromise, that make the way for sin that ultimately leads to death. This blessing and this celebration is released at the thought that God daily bears those things. That's how much he loves us. And then you consider a passage of scripture like 1 John chapter 4, as you get around verse you know, 11 or 12 or so, you realize that this is how God loves us, and so we ought to love one another. Ought is, is a word that we don't use, but we, we could. I mean, we use words that are similar, like the word should, right? You could substitute the word should there, and it would fit our vernacular a, a lot better. God loves us this way, so we should love each other that way too. To bear one another's burdens. I mentioned before, you know, this command that Jesus was going to issue, that he issues to every believer, that this is my commandment, that you love one another the same way that I love you. Bearing witness with the passage of scripture we just read, that God loves us and we should love each other the same way. Now the question is, how do you do that? If I'm interested in just simply knowing what Jesus is wanting from me, what he commands and what he expects of me, then we can check off that box. This is my command that you love one another the same way I love you. How do I bring that to pass? I mentioned before we're going to find how to fulfill Jesus' commandment. I'll give you that passage of scripture now for your notes. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2. Galatians 6, verse 2, if our command is to love one another the same way that Jesus loves us, take this passage of Scripture and consider what's being said. Galatians 6, 2, it reads like this. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. I want to read it again. Bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what law? Could it be referring to this command to love one another the same way that we're loved by God? Absolutely. To bear one another's burdens is to begin to fulfill that call that's on every believer's life. And then I have to ask myself this, well, now I know what the command is and now I know how to do it, but what does that even mean? I don't want to just do this by accident, but I want to begin to, to do the things intentionally and on purpose to bring this into existence so that I can accomplish that purpose on my life to, to love the same way that I've been loved. And this is where it's helpful to go outside of the Bible and go to the dictionary. I mean, 
It's hard to understand the word of God if you don't understand the words that are used to make up the word of God. So you go to the dictionary and you look up the word bear. What does it mean? It's got a, a few different definitions, and we'll, we'll pull from several of them. Uh, the first one is to thatch or to cover. Now, we live in Abilene, Texas. We don't have a lot of thatch roofs around here. I've done some work in some countries where they still do use thatch roofs. It's pretty impressive when you see it done well. But to thatch is a, a word that would be totally outside of our vernacular. We don't use it, but it would mean to put a roof over something. It's, it's an interesting thing to consider when you're talking about this fulfilling of loving one another the same way that we've been loved, to cover something. To thatch, here's another definition, to protect or to keep by covering, to preserve. A third definition, by covering, to keep off something which threatens, to bear up against, to hold out against, and so to endure to bear or to forbear. The dictionary just gets a little wordy sometimes. But the reality is you see that this has a motive behind it. That motive is to protect. You have a call on your life to protect, to protect others, to protect them from what? From things to getting on them. Well, what are the things that you're meant to protect others from getting on them? That's what I'd like to talk about. I think you could take this passage of scripture and it could be abused greatly. When I began my, my works in ministry, I became a, a Christian around age 20 and I had a, 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 an urgent uh, awareness of a call of God on my life to do things in the kingdom of God as every believer should feel. And I, I began to, to pursue those things. And every time there was an opportunity, I, I wanted to be involved. And, and so I remember when the church uh, that was planted here in Abilene, it began with the name Trinity Fellowship Church. And it's an amazing thing to remember. We're going to celebrate the life of Maria on Thursday. Well, well, her and her husband, Doug, were a part of that. And this was, you know, 23 years ago. And they would travel from Amarillo and come help with the setup and the teardown. We swapped a few stories very briefly just recently. And it brings back a flood of memories. And so there was a desire to be involved, and, and you had believers like Doug and Maria who had that same desire, and they come to help build and to do things and, and are, are involved. And for me as a young man, I just wanted to do more and more and more. And finally, I, I had an opportunity, and that opportunity was to clean the church building. We finally were no longer setting up and tearing down. We had a location, and we began to to establish that location and, and function and minister out of that location. And all I wanted to do was just be close to wherever ministry was happening. And so I was given the assignment to take care of the facility, which means running the vacuum and, and sweeping the floors. And uh, it was a pretty big task because Christians are dirty people, man. I mean it. And it was a pretty interesting location with a lot of foot traffic, you know, a lot of walk-ins. And, and then I remember you know, all of a the sudden there was a, a, too many walk-in appointments to be managed by the team that had their own duties and responsibilities. And so I uh, remember the first time I ever heard the whisper, well, why don't we let Preston handle that? And I just thought, yes, 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 ooh, 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 pick me, pick me, yes, you know. And so then they did, and then you began to just minister to people and love on people. 
And there's something that takes place when you begin to, to function and operate in your, your, your Christianity. You begin to feel this fulfillment. When you see something like in Galatians, Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ, you come to realize that as we function in a way like Jesus does, we feel an awareness or a sensation of fulfillment in our own life. Maybe we never even knew there was a void there, but we just thought this is what life is like, and then all of a sudden you get a taste of of something more fruitful, and it becomes very desirable. I think there's a reason why the scripture is, is as poetic as it is and can say, taste and see that the Lord is good. I've seen God do great things in people's lives, and it does feel pretty good. Tastes great. Makes you want more. But as we began to minister, what I realized was that there are people with a lot of burdens, and they would walk in with their burdens, and I would take this passage of Scripture, and, and I would feel obligated to do everything because this passage of Scripture tells me to bear uh, one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. So if someone comes in and says, you know, hey, uh, I need this, then I, am I obligated to give them that? Or if somebody comes in and says this, am I I started to see that, that things were, were dysfunctional, that there were abuses and there were all kinds of challenges, and it became problematic. And I realized something. I realized I don't think I understand what this passage of Scripture means. I don't think this just means fix everybody's problems and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. Now, if you're going to mess up, that's not a bad way to mess up. But when I begin to see what it means to bear, I understand something completely different. That I'm meant to put a roof over people in order to protect them from something. What am I trying to protect them from? What am I thatching in order to keep off of them? I want to continue in the scripture and we'll circle back to that in just a moment. Romans 15.1, if you're wondering how do we, you know, bear, how do you actually do this, you'll find... Romans 15.1 has a pretty good instruction for step one in how to fulfill what Jesus has called us to fulfill by bearing one another's burdens. It's going to require this. Romans 15.1 reads like this. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those who have no strength and not just please ourselves. I'll tell you something, the first part of that passage of scripture thrills me. Right? I like the idea of being strong, and I like the idea of helping those who are weak. It kind of floats my boat. But then when I see the price that that comes at, I begin to think, can I afford that price? Am I willing to be strong when others are weak rather than just please myself? If I'm going to bear the same way that Jesus would bear in my life, it's going to require selflessness. That's a passage of scripture that can influence my mind and my heart. That's one that can affect the way that I pray. Father, I want to be selfless. Will you reveal the selfishness in me, that self-preservation and all the defensiveness and everything that would be uh, rooted in, in greed, let all that stuff uh, be uncovered so that it can be driven out of my heart and my mind, that it can no longer have a, a, a corrupt influence on the things that you've called me to do, but let selfishness be removed from my life that I might love like Jesus loves me. It's going to be required in order to bear with one another. It's the key to living a spiritual life, honestly, and this is a really interesting thing to me because I've seen a lot of this in 
And over two decades of pastoring, there seems to be an obsession with becoming more spiritual. You'll talk to people, and they'll talk about spirituality and things like that. I've got news for you. You are a spirit. How do you get more spirit than spirit? You don't. But what they mean is that they want to begin to, to function intentionally and cooperate with the spiritual and the things of the kingdom of God. I understand the vocabulary and what they mean. I just think it's easy to get lost in the weeds. And when it comes to allowing our spirit flow with the spirit of God and to accomplish the things that are pleasing to God, it's going to require something. It's going to require the selflessness and to bear, to fulfill that command that Jesus would give. I'll give you a passage of scripture to bear witness with what it means to be a spiritual person or what it requires to be spiritual. In Galatians chapter 6, I want to read verses 1 and 2. If you're taking notes, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. It reads like this, Brethren, that would be every believer, if anyone is caught in sin... It actually says trespass, which I'm going to stop there for a second because trespass to me is worth noting. Uh, when you see God speaking to Moses and revealing his grace and his compassion, he says, I'm the Lord, I'm the Lord God that pardons sin and that pardons transgression and that pardons iniquity. And you hear these three things and we kind of lump them all into the same category of just like bad behavior, right? Sin can be total error. I can sin and it's not intentional. And I've done that plenty, you know, where you realize, oh my gosh, I didn't know I was hurting you. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Then you can have trespass or transgression. Now that's altogether different, right? I mean, I want you just to think about what we would know here as a crime of trespassing. You went somewhere you weren't supposed to be, right? And most of the time, it's even got to be stated no trespassing or else it's not going to be trespassing, which means you even knew you weren't supposed to be there and you went anyway. So anytime you deal with transgression or trespass, what you're dealing with is rebellion. I knew what I was supposed to do and I did what I wanted to anyway. And then of course you have iniquity where that rebellion becomes a lifestyle. And when we look at this, I think it's important for us to see that what's mentioned here is not if anyone's caught in sin, but it's if anyone's caught in trespass. If anyone's caught living rebelliously, knowing better but still doing wicked or doing wrong, failing to do the things that are pleasing to God even though they know what they are. If anyone is caught in trespass, you who are spiritual, now you're about to hear the description of a spiritual person, restore such a one with gentleness. First, looking at yourself so that you too won't also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, thereby fulfill the law of Christ. I want to stop here for a second, and we're not going to be long. I know it's got to be really dull listening to this monotone voice for this long. But this is really where the rubber meets the road. Because for the longest time, when that young little custodian that wanted to minister to people had all of these walk-ins and believed with all of his heart that bearing one another's burdens meant fixing everybody's problems, I think I'm seeing now what it means. This is about restoring. This is about forgiving. This is about seeing to it that lives aren't defined or identified by the sin and the corruption that Jesus shed his blood to wash away. 
It's about removing the scarlet letter from those that were in corruption and seeing to it that they walk in the light as God has sent the light in the world for them to walk in. Look at this passage of scripture that describes what it means to bear one another's burdens and to fulfill the law of Jesus. It means to function in a spiritual way, bringing restoration through gentleness, examining ourselves, and to consider the things that Jesus would call us to do. When I read that passage of scripture, I cannot help but see the gospel being lived out in the examples that he would bring, such as a woman caught in adultery, drugged before him. The world would say she's a sinner and she's been caught in sin, but yet you would see Jesus, who is the symbol of a spiritual man, say, let's all examine ourselves first before we call her that. And all of a sudden, you see restoration. You know, his words to her are now go and sin no more. We don't really talk about that that much, but think about that. He hit the reset button on her life, but not just saying, hey, I hope you don't screw it up again but that he would relieve her of the burden of that identity of adultery, that he would put a thatching over so that that would not stick on her. He would cover that so that she wouldn't be branded that. And without being branded that, now she can go be who she's called to be, which is a daughter of the Most High God. It's bearing one another's burdens. I want to be like that. I want to do that. I don't think bearing one another's burdens just means having a big checkbook and running a benevolence ministry, even though I believe in that and I think it's a good thing. I think bearing one another's burdens is seeing to it that we're not identified by our past and our sin and our corruption, but that we're identified by the present power of the blood of Jesus, the activity of the Holy Ghost, the authority of the kingdom of God, and our identity as the saints. I want to give you a proverb that I think I misunderstood for a long time. Now, not that I got it wrong. I just think you can take it one of two ways. And both ways are right, by the way. The proverb uh, is, is Proverbs 17. It's verse 9. Proverbs 17, verse 9. It reads like this. He who conceals a transgression seeks love. But he who, he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. He who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. I mean, I don't think you're wrong to think of this passage like I used to always think about it, which meant, like, which meant to me, excuse me, that if we can you know, learn from our mistakes and not repeat them, then, then we, can, we can have health in this relationship. I think that's a pretty good way to, to take that, right? Like let's just say I, I say something ugly to my wife and she says that hurts my feelings and I say, oh, I'm so sorry, please forgive me and then I never do it again, then we're good, right? But if I keep doing it, then we're not good and I keep doing it then we're even worse and then I keep doing it and then all of a sudden separation. I, I think that's a pretty decent way to interpret that. But I'd like to tell you a new way that I would interpret this passage. A way that I think applies to today's message really well. Because the word conceals is really what's interesting to me. When I think of the word conceal, I think of, of something being hidden. You know, I mean, even silly, like if you did a sleight of hand trick, it's concealed somewhere. Something didn't go away, it's just not in plain sight 
And that's not how forgiveness works. Jesus didn't shed his blood to conceal our sins. He shed his blood to wash them away. And so now as I consider this passage of Scripture, I have to consider it completely different. By the way, if you want to know why Jesus shed his blood, I'll give you a passage of Scripture that you can hang your hat on on that one. 103 verse 12 from the Psalm. Psalm 103 verse 12. It says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God's removed our sins from us. They're not concealed. They're gone. So now when I read this passage of scripture, I have to ask myself, maybe I've misunderstood this. What does that mean? My sins aren't concealed. What does this mean then if I'm supposed to conceal this? I take that now and I begin to see something that the one that can conceal or or cover is actually another translation. And I preferred the word cover because I think that goes with making a thatch making a roof. The one that can cover a transgression seeks love, but the one that repeats a matter separates intimate friends. I now see something here that I need to apply to my life. This isn't about don't keep doing the wrong thing, even though we should probably stop doing the wrong thing. This is about not branding someone for their failure. I'm going to put a a roof over that so that that identity doesn't rain down upon you. I'm not going to constantly throw in your face your drunkenness. I'm not going to constantly throw in your face your adultery. I'm not going to constantly throw in your face your failure here, 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 here. I'm not going to constantly throw in your face and then bring about separation, but I'm going to put a roof over you so that that identity cannot rain down on you and you can be the wonderful, blood-bought, redeemed believer that God paid the highest price for you to be. And that's seeking love. A covering, a thatch, a roof to bear, to bear one another's burdens. And then it makes way for something great. And we've got to wrap up because I'm running out of gas here and it's late. I want to give you a passage of scripture here. I told you we're going to find what's required for unity. I'm going to give you the passage. I'm going to read it to you. We're going to break it down slightly, but I'd like to ask you, hey, take this passage with you through the week. Just read it again at some point and and pray about it. It comes from Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to begin around verse 12 and go for a couple. So listen to how it opens up here. So as those who have been chosen by God, that's how it opens. There's an identification as to who this instruction, who this word is being released to, and that's every single Christian. As to those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, that's you. Now here comes the instruction. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Anyone who has a complaint against anyone, just as God forgave you, so you should also. Now the next verse. Beyond all these things is love, 
which is the perfect bond of unity. We're going to break that down here in a second, but I want to make a point. That word beyond there needs to be seen differently than I think we might see it naturally. Naturally, we would think of beyond in a way that would, would be transcending. You know, we would think of, you know, compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, all being good things. And then beyond those good things comes love. When the reality is what's being said here is, hey, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience that result in bearing with one another and forgiving in one another will then result in love. It comes after. If somebody were asking for directions and they said, I want to know where the mall is, I could tell them it's beyond Antley, which means it comes after Antley. What we're being instructed to here is where love is and that perfect bond of unity, it's beyond this list. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience that result in bearing with one another and forgiving one another. It's going to come after that. If we won't do that, good luck finding love. It's going to come beyond that. And without that, there is no unity. There is no perfect bond of unity. I've spent so much of my life pastorally praying for unity. Father, let this church be unified. Let this body be unified for your glory. Unity, 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 unity. Well, what I really needed to be praying was, Father, fill this place with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Fill this place with a group of believers that will bear with one another and forgive each other the same way that you've forgiven us. And then let that result in the love that is the perfect bond of unity. I want to pray that prayer for me. Let my life be defined by your compassion, your kindness, your humility, and your gentleness, your patience. And let the result of my life be building that roof to cover people from a failed identity, that they might be released to walk in the identity of the victorious saints that you've called them to be. And let that result in the powerful bond of love that is unity. Let it be real. Let it be genuine. Let it be effective. All for your glory. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray over us as a congregation. That prayer might sound pretty similar to the, the concept that was just offered. But I think you can see why I would want you to carry that passage of Scripture with you through the week. I think there's a mentality that is in the church today that is with good intention as it concerns bearing one another's burdens. But I think with good intention, it can still be off. I think it's good to be benevolent. I think it's good to fix people's problems. I think it's good to, to partner together and to, to carry 
a heavy load by sharing it. But I don't see Jesus going around writing checks in the gospel. I don't see him paying utility bills for people. In in fact, he had to tell a guy to go get money so he could pay his taxes. I do see him protecting people from being branded sinners and thieves and murderers and whores. I do see that. And I think, God, how much could you call me to be just like that? Where we stop making the kingdom of God an ATM and we start making the kingdom of God a place where people receive their true identity as your sons and daughters. Where we stop throwing money at problems and we start ministering to them. Kind of an interesting concept. Don't get me wrong, there's room for benevolence. I can preach a whole message on that. But as it concerns bearing with one another, which I believe is absolutely necessary for the love that we're called to operate in that brings about perfect unity, I think we need a right understanding of what that requires and what it means. That when we look at those that are hurt and wounded, we see to it that they don't live out their lives identified by their hurt and wound. That we devote all of the compassion and kindness and all of the patience and humility that God would release through our lives by His Spirit into their life to lift that identity off of them. To see to it that they're covered with a roof that keeps that from raining down on them. That they're released to be identified as the wonderful powerful, blood-bought believers that we are. I want to pray for us this morning. I want to ask for that to take place in our hearts and in our minds for the purpose of being that which we're called to be. You're welcome to be an attitude of agreement or a state of receiving, however you choose. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. Teach us to do the things that are pleasing to you. Let us be instructed by this culture. We're led by empty tradition. But by your spirit, lead us and guide us into all things true. Teach us to bear with one another those burdens that we would carry. Show us how to do these things. Fill our hearts and our lives, our our minds with those things that are necessary. Let us be rich in compassion and kindness. Let us be identified as those that are humble and gentle. Let the result of our words and our actions release patience into every situation that we might face and deal with. That we would truly help bear the burdens of those around us and make way for love and its perfect unity. And as the world would see what you have so wonderfully woven and assembled by releasing your love to us and through us. Let it be evangelistic. That there truly would be a unity in this house that would produce that strength that could only be defined as your kingdom. Unshakable. We bless your name and we thank you for the call that you placed upon our lives. Not only to receive from this goodness but to participate We love you, we bless you, and we thank you for your continued work in us. 
be honored and glorified as we receive your word, as we cherish it, and as we commit to seeing your word have its way in and through our lives for your glory. We bless you and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And all the saints declared, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.